when you're traveling presently, you're just experiencing what is happening in front of you. But when you travel with your rectangle, you are also thinking about who am I going to tell about this experience? Where am I going to post this experience? And then because of that, you're also thinking, how am I going to make this moment more fun? Or how am I going to make this moment look more fun? And so all of those things are essentially getting in the way of the original definition that we just established kind of around mindfulness. everybody, this is Luca Menares and you're listening to the Solo Female Trailer Podcast, the show dedicated to empowering and inspire women to embrace the unknown and travel on their own terms. Through a mix of solo episodes and guest interviews, you will listen to stories and insights from women around the world who have embarked on their own solo travel adventures. Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode. Today we're here with Chris. Chris is the co-founder and CEO of Shimmer, the number one ADHD coaching app. And she is a adventure seeker, change maker, and connection builder. She believes in business as a force for real, impactful change, and fights with love for the community she's part of. So Chris, thank you so much for being here with us and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, I'm so excited I found you and I'm so excited to be on this podcast. Same. No, same. I'm really happy when I was really happy when I saw your message. And I was like, yes, yes, let's talk about this. So actually, the topic we'll, we'll be discussing today is attention. And something I was mentioning to Chris before is that even when we're traveling, it's very easy to get distracted. Even though you can be in paradise, you will be still checking your mm. phone and you will be present. So Chris will share some tips and experiences and stories with us about this topic and about a term that she shared also shared with me during the DMs, which was the inattention economy. So Chris, why don't we start with that? What is the inattention economy and how does it affect our ability to be present and focused when we travel? Yeah, so... I actually spent some time looking up the formal definition for this because once we started talking about it, I realized I had my definition. But the formal definition, I'll read it out first, is that our modern world is that our attention is a scarce resource that is constantly being competed for by various entities, media companies, advertisers, technology platforms. This is essentially what it means is that people are buying our attention. And because people are buying our attention, our attention is being fragmented and being sold and treated as essentially our resource. And that's really something that's relatively new in our society and especially at such mass scale since we all got these little rectangles that follow us around our entire lives. Um, so I guess a little bit of background is we do ADHD coaching and ADHD is all about focus and attention or the lack thereof. And so I think a lot about attention in my day to day or inattention, both of them are kind of intertwined. So I'm excited about this topic. Um, and I think that there's a lot to unpack here around travel because travel is something that both is affected, as you mentioned, by the inattention economy, but can also be used as kind of a solution or a tool to help address that inattention economy. Got it. When I heard the term inattention economy, the first thing that came to my mind was that actually attention is a new currency. And these exactly big companies are, are using that at, in their favor. And 
you know, influencing all our behaviors and therefore our attention and therefore our behaviors in order for them to reap some rewards. So, um, so Chris, now let me ask you, how can traveling be a way to escape from these distractions in this inattention society? And how can we cultivate a sense of mindfulness and presence? Yeah, I love, I love that question. Um, I think maybe we'll start with mindfulness. Okay. Uh, so one definition that I really like is mindfulness is essentially, and we can break this apart, is being present without judgment. And mm-hmm. it also involves experiencing what is happening without trying to predict or change what's going to happen next. So the future. So I kind of think about this at two part. There's like the presence. Uh, so being present, there's without judgment. And then there's without changing the future. And I think these are all really important. And so the present piece is, I like this quote that it says, is your mind full, like with two L's, or are you mindful? And so that has to do with all the things that are in your head at any current moment. Um, And being present is being with whatever is in front of you rather than all of those other thoughts that are outside. And I like to take it a little bit further with the judgment and the changing as well, because our the inattention society society it's just it's all judgment like if you go on twitter everyone has opinions everyone's judging things there's it's no longer about facts it's no longer about presence it's just about judgment so that is where the inattention economy also then i guess like slices it and then the last piece is around changing the future when you're traveling presently, you are just experiencing what is happening in front of you. But when you travel with your rectangle, you are also thinking about who am I going to tell about this experience? Who am I going to post? Where am I going to post this experience? And then because of that, you're also thinking, how am I going to make this moment more fun? Or how am I going to make this moment look more fun? And so all of those things are essentially getting in the way of the original definition that we just established kind of around mindfulness. So those are kind of, uh, I guess, some of the ways, like, from a negative perspective, that I guess both technology and travel are kind of interacting with each other. Yeah, for sure. When you when you're traveling and you are constantly checking social media, first you're not present mm-hmm. to your surroundings, and second, yes, you're always in the future. You're not present. You're in the future because you're thinking, oh, how, as you said, how can I make this moment more fun, or how mm-hmm. can I make it more aesthetically pleasing or yeah. <laughs> or what will people say about this and we're looking for the dopamine rush all the time and also something that happens with social media and technologies is that they really tap into our innate motivation of human connection but it's mm-hmm. super interesting because we're in this alternate reality being as connected as we can but then when it comes to the physical reality, we are not present there anymore. And actually, there is a an a statistic about technology and how much we check it. That is that since the year 2000, our attention spans has been shrinking from 12 to 8 seconds. And this happens because we're constantly checking our phones. We're constantly checking our social medias. When I was preparing these questions for you, I was like, okay, how can we use travel as a way to to be more present? And honestly, the only thing that came to my mind was being in the Himalayas without any signal and just camping and and not talking to anyone pretty much. Uh, Because that is something I've 
definitely being a stro- have been struggling with and especially that I have the podcast page and and I have mm, other pages yeah. and I'm like oh I gotta I gotta create content I gotta be present I don't want people to forget about me can you share any personal experiences with us about how have you handled these situations when you travel yeah you mean to become kind of using travel to become more present or yes. handling okay Yeah, um, I think a good concept to bring up here is actually related to children. So in schools right now, the way that you teach um, is you sit in front of a lecture and you listen to the thing and then you go and then you do your test and then you regurgitate the thing. And somehow it's gotten into our brains that that is the best way to learn and the best way to be. But science has actually shown the best way to learn is through play. So when children play with each other, that's when they learn how to negotiate things. That's when they learn how to keep someone else's attention, how to form relationships, how to do all these things that are essential to actually being a human being. And that's where I think travel also comes in in the same way for for adults. It's kind of our way to to learn all these things. Like when you're traveling, you have to be present and you're forced to do all these things. You're forced to be present because you need to understand, like, I don't know, is that bus in front of you going to leave? You need to like be present to understand the nonverbal communication because you don't understand the language that's being spoken in front of you. So you're almost forced into doing all these things that are really important for adults and just humans in general to be able to learn, to be able to thrive and to be able to reach that next level of self-awareness. Um, and so all of that, it's not that presence or attention is the goal, but it's presence and attention is required in order to do all of those things. So you're almost being, travel is forcing you to be, to pay attention, to be present, because if not, um, I don't know, you won't get like eaten by a bear depending on what sort of traveling you're doing, but you will definitely be a less effective traveler. So you're almost being forced into it. And with our, I guess, phones and the inattention society, sometimes we need that little bit of a kick. We need to be forced into these things because it's so hard to do it when you're back home. That's for sure, 100%. Actually, now that you mentioned that we have to pay a lot of attention when we're in a new place because we're learning a new language, a new environment, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty much like, like being a toddler again. And yeah. you have to to pay attention to what the social cues are. You have to pay attention to the language. You have to pay attention to many other things. And the part that you said that using play as as a way to integrate this. So how exactly do you use play? What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, so for children, it's things like making sure that they have really long recess sessions where they go and they make their own game. And I mean... Um, depending on what country you're from, it's still, I mean, I grew up in a city, so it's not as, I guess, salient, but you don't see children just like in the streets, like figuring out, making their new games. Um, And you go to school and then the teacher tells you like, this is the rule, this is the game, this is how you play. And you don't practice a lot of those things. But in many countries in the world, it's not like that. And so with adults as well, like when you're when you're traveling, you also need to make up your own rules and you need to infer the rules of other people. Because when you're back home, you have pattern recognition. You're like, okay, if someone says this, if someone does this, it probably means this. But when you go to a new country, you don't have that pattern recognition or the pattern recognition is weaker. And if you go to a country that is further away from the cultural context of your country that you come from, that is even more so. And so play as an adult, I guess, looks less like 
maybe it does look like, but like rolling around in like the sand or something, but really just creating these new games and connections with others. And so an example is I often, if I'm living at a hostel, like I will come downstairs. Uh, I'm like an extrovert, so I know it doesn't go for everyone, but I'll just be like, I want to like have this adventure today. Like who wants to have an adventure with me? And so then someone who is someone who's probably pretty wild will be like, let's do it. Let's make an adventure together. And so now you're joined with one other person that you don't know that you have no context with navigating this new country. And that in itself, at least for me, because obviously I love traveling and I'm addicted to traveling, that in itself is like a play or a dance as you navigate that entire day and you navigate all the interactions that come with that day. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, so memories that came to my mind where you were explaining this is also play can, at least in my experience, play can look like play because I remember when I have visited countries, one specific memory that comes to my mind is in the Philippines. I remember just playing tag and running around at the beach with a group of people I, I was with. And I was like, we're just like a bunch of almost 30 years old <laughs> running around. <laughs> so um, yeah. it's almost like some rules that you put on yourself when you're back home disappear when you're traveling. And back home, maybe it feels like you shouldn't play because you're 30. But like, when you're traveling, it doesn't matter. Um, who cares how old you are? Who cares? Like no one knows you. Um, and you kind of just let loose a bit. And I think that that's where a lot of play or adventure and those kind of things also come up. And I think that also, for some reason, like if I'm traveling, I will play with other people's kids. But if I'm like at home or in the US, I don't just like go and play with other people's kids. So there's just this like um, level of, I guess, openness that you have and also because it's clear to other people that you're visiting so I think that or at least for for me I guess um because I'm Asian and most places I go to are not Asia and so it's very clear that um I'm visiting and so people kind of treat you a little bit differently too no that's for true I think also the embedded societal rules right have a part in it because in the United States it's not as well seen to just come up to a child and try to play with him whereas in other countries First, they recognize you as a foreigner, and then also they are more open to let you play with with their kids as well. So some key points that I can take from this past conversation is that when you are traveling to a different countries, you are still getting bombarded with stimulation. But the difference here is that it is external stimulation that you also have to be extra present to be able to, to gather and process this new data, right? Whereas when you are back home and you are constantly on your phones and on in front of a computer, is also external stimulation, but is everything happens through a screen. So do you know what might be the difference that why is this external stimulation when you travel? Why is it different than the simulation in front of our screens? And why do the screen simulation affect our attention spans when Mm. the others don't? Yeah. um, So I think two things here. So the first one is definitely just the, I guess, what is it called? Like the interval of time. So for example, if you're looking at a screen, you can hit be hit with like six, seven, eight notifications in like two Mm. minutes. Um, However, when you're in real life, um, if somebody is coming and talking to you, the next person won't come talk to you and then the next person talk to you. So there's your one input on a screen, your one, 
output and there's many, many inputs trying to speak to you at once. And also the length of these things are very different. So for example, Twitter is the best example um, for that's bad for inattention is they teach you that ideas can be expressed in this small amount of time. And then you switch for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tweets that are all about different ideas versus when you're in real life, you'll probably have a longer conversation with someone. So that interval is definitely one. And the second one that comes to mind is like the multi-sensoriness of it all. I don't know if that's a word, uh, but having something come to you via smell, then another one via someone coming to talk to you, and then you needing to process all these things is different because there's different pieces of your brain that are taking in this versus with your phone, it's all coming in through your eyes, I guess. Um, and then maybe your fingers since you're typing back. Um, and it's just one modality. And for you to be focused in on one modality, but constantly switching, that can be a lot more overwhelming than to have five different senses come in at once. Cause you can process those senses kind of simultaneously in a way that with your vision, you can't, you can't process multiple things at once. That's for sure. Thank you so much for that explanation. That was something that that just came to my mind. I was like, huh, I wonder, I wonder why will this be? But for sure, I, I, I can totally, I can totally notice the difference. I can spend a whole day traveling and doing many different things, but then I can also spend a, a whole day working between different projects in my computer with my phone and creating. And just by the end of the day, I feel so mentally drained by the second one. Actually, like the, External stimulation when I'm traveling, when I, I am traveling, actually gives me energy and just like yeah. fuels me to keep going. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think part of it is also that when you're on your screen, like all the advertisers and the companies, they're trying to guide your attention to do something. So you're not actually in control versus when you're traveling in general, you're in control. And actually, the example that comes to my mind of when you're traveling and you're not in control and you can feel how draining it is is when someone's trying to sell you something and you're a foreigner mm. and you know that they're trying to sell you something. And then especially the ones where they take you on this really long journey and you're too shy to, to try to leave from that journey, you're drained after that. And you can feel that because you're not in control of your narrative. You're not in control of what you're doing. And that's essentially what's happening on our phone for the most part. Um, a lot of the times we're not in control. The infinite scroll is not built for us to be in control. The algorithms showing us what they want to show us, we're not built to be in control. Wow. Yeah, that's that's definitely a great analogy. And as a personal experience, one of the reasons why I don't use TikTok anymore is because I was feeling that lack of control. I will open the app and be there for about three hours and then be like, what? I just what just, happened? <laughs> what happened? And just yeah. time, time went by and I didn't notice it. And it was like, okay, this is not okay that an application is controlling my life. And, and then even though when I wasn't on it, I was still thinking what I could do to create content on it. So it became this constant cycle of consuming and then thinking what I could create for others to consume as well. And also since our attention spans are shrinking, what all these apps are doing as well is making the content more stimulating to so they can grab our attention quicker. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They use the the bright colors, the 
Um, so I make, I tried to make TikToks for a while. So I learned some of the strategies. And when you hear people say the strategies, you're like, wow, they're really trying to get our attention. They're like, take the phone and like, just shake it when you start so that people will, will stop or like use a bright color, wear a bright shirt. So everyone's vying for your attention. The longer that you stay on a certain app or the longer that app stays in your mind, uh, the more money they make. Uh, one actually tip that has helped me a lot, uh, you might sound a little bit wild when you do this, but when you pick up your phone to just declare out loud, literally to yourself, what you are picking up your phone to do, and then just leave your phone when you've done that thing. And so then your phone becomes something that, or your phone experience becomes something that you're controlling because it's not the phone that's inherently bad. It's the way that we're using our phones. So if you can just declare like, Hey, I want to Google uh, a place to buy sticky notes. Sorry, that was a terrible example. But then you'll go and you'll buy the sticky notes and then you'll leave. Um, and so getting into that practice about being intentional about your attention um, can go a long way, even if you don't execute it perfectly. That's that's a, actually that's a great tip. I would have never thought about that. And yeah, it's very because simple. <laughs> yeah, no, it is very simple. But you know, simple things work and. And that's one of the main things, the main problems when we use technology is that we open our computer and we or we check our phones for one thing and then we get a notification and we'll, we get a suggestion and then we end up checking five, ten things that we didn't have planned to do. And something yeah. that's supposed to take you three minutes ends up taking you. 40 or, or 45 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. And it's even worse when you pick up your phone and you just pick it up to refresh something. I find myself, if you refresh Instagram or you refresh to see if you just posted something, how many likes are on it, that's even one degree further. But it's interesting because these tactics have been used even in the real world. This example, we were talking earlier because my roommate is a chef, but uh, in Costco, they sell this um, chicken that is $5 and it is placed at the very back of the store. And that chicken is very cheap and people have to walk all the way across the store and then they buy all these other things along the way just to get that chicken. Um, and I sometimes feel like, well, Costco has known a lot of things for a long time, but um, with our phones, it's like a way more advanced, more personalized version of that. And I don't eat chicken, so that was like a very random example. But I, <laughs> I, I get all the time. I get um, the what I get is the when they place candy by the cashier. That is the one that I always fall for. <laughs> oh no, no! <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. They put it there, and I know why they put it there, and I still get it. <laughs> yeah, that one is the one that I I build the strength to completely avoid. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not even gonna look at it. But again, oh, that's. No. We're talking about inattention economy, how attention has become a currency or a resource, as you mentioned earlier. And that's the way it is. You get bombarded with different advertisements and like to visit different videos and different things. Use also that at the end, your behavior gets influenced and probably your buying behaviors as well. And um, so now that you mentioned a tip, Chris, that just when you grab your phone, just say out loud what you're going to do with it. What are some other practical tips that this time that you use for when you travel? When you travel, what are some practical tips that you use to center yourself and practice presence and attention? And even in the face of distractions or unexpected challenges, 
Yes. Unexpected challenges is the name of the game for traveling. <laughs> so you, uh, I guess one thing, um, it's actually, I draw this from acceptance commitment therapy. I really like uh, a lot of the, the teachings there. Um, but it's, it's what's called, I think, experiential acceptance. Um, okay. It's about non-judgmental awareness of what is happening. So when you have challenges, unexpected challenges, it's less about, oh, I'm so upset that this thing is happening, but more so I notice that this thing is happening and you move away from the negative emotions that lie around it, but more towards like what is possible from this. So that could be like something that you're learning from it. It could be um, maybe some opportunity that it opens up for you the next day, or maybe sometimes it's, oh, I actually don't have to do that other thing that I was going to do tomorrow because now I have this as an excuse. Um, so that kind of learned optimism, I think is something, and that experiential acceptance is something that I like to practice a lot. Um, and then the other one that's kind of related to it is um, trying not so much to minimize things that are negative, because I think sometimes it's very hard to, there are just things there that are negative, but in order to combat that, but to increase things that are positive. Uh, so knowing what those things are for you, um, it could be candy, it could be whatever it is, so that when something negative happens, uh, you're less so dwelling on the negative thing, but you're almost distracting yourself with another positive thing. And putting those things together make basically becomes your experience um, for, for that day, essentially. Yeah, the last one that I also go back to a lot is it's a mix of kind of like your why and your your values. Uh, I think a lot about my values, but essentially everything we do in our life is because we are living out our own personal values. We're discovering more about it and we're living out our values. And when you remember why you went on this journey or why you did what maybe led to this, uh, I guess, maybe a challenging event or unexpected event. Um, and bringing it back to that value, that really helps anchor it. Like, for example, one of my values is my top values, appreciation of beauty um, and excellence and nature. And when I do something that I end up while traveling, being in a very precarious situation, like somewhere in like the forest or something like that, bringing it back to like what I love about nature and like why I'm there. Um, that definitely helps me put into perspective the situation that I'm in and that because for everything that you love, it always comes with, I like the analogy of like front and back of the hand. Um, everything that you love comes with something positive and something negative. And it's impossible to have that thing that you love without both sides because it wouldn't be the imperfect beauty that it is. And this goes, I think about this with people as well. Um, so just remembering why you love this whole thing rather than dwelling on the specific I guess, negative thing that is happening on it and just kind of like learning to love the the entirety of it. Got it. Got it. So as you mentioned that, so something that I learned in my class about positive psychology this week was that in Eastern philosophies, there is this idea that we live in, in a state of flow. So we always going to experience positive and negatives. Whereas in Western philosophies, we kind of live in a more linear way in the sense that we all think that always everything is good. And when something bad happens, we have this mentality of, okay, I'm just going to fix this bad thing so I can go back to the good. When you mentioned that something that you love will have positive and negative aspects and then other things that you also mentioned at the beginning 
um, it really puts everything in perspective because when you accept the good, but also accept the bad and you you are conscious that, hey, this is just part of life. You are mm -hmm. kind of like, just like that acceptance and not judging your experience, as you mentioned, that just makes it more easier and also makes it easier to be present because when you live in the linear way, you are always in that mental state of, oh, you know, I'm just going to fix the bad and to go back mm -hmm. to the good you're always either living in the past or in the future because all exactly oh, yeah because the past was better than what it is right now and I know like for example when I get a car when I buy a house I know this that is a very western uh, way of thinking like when when I don't know when I travel <laughs> even mm -hmm. even the travel trap you know like when I'm traveling it's when I'm going to be happy or when I buy yeah. this is when I'm going to be happy so um, thank you so much for, for sharing that and for sharing about the not judging your experiences and just uh, when you your love will come with the negative and the positive. And thank you so much for sharing that. Is that something that, where did you learn those philosophies? <laughs> yeah, so I guess in the short past, um, I just finished taking a course on positive psychology as well. Um, I just like learning about these things. But I think most of what I've actually learned for the first time before I had the language for it is always just through normal life. So mm -hmm. this front and the back of the hand thing, I actually learned from I just relationships with people because I always find when someone does something like romantic relationships usually, but I find that whenever someone does something that makes me so angry, it is always related to a trait that I love so much about them. And it's just the mm -hmm. opposite side of it. And how can you expect someone to only have the positive side of it and then just be like, oh, but don't show me any of the negative part when it's literally a reason why you love them so much. And I think I use it also Sometimes my boyfriend probably knows this, but when I do something that angers him, I'd be like, oh, but this is like also related to my great trait that's over here. Like an example is um, I have really high energy and people generally like that I have high energy and can bring that positive energy. But when it's like time to sleep and people want me to go to bed and want me to stop talking, <laughs> then I'll be like, but remember when you really loved this. Um, so yeah, I think that like this, this whole like everything is is a whole is not you cannot break things into its little components and be like I want this one and I don't want that one because that's just not how life works so um I always I don't think a lot of people agree with this but I also really love just like pain and sadness like I think it's so beautiful sometimes I will like be crying about something that's sad and then I'll start crying that like it's so like beautiful that I can have these feelings and that I care about something so much um, and then I kind of get into a little bit of a loop, but, um, yeah, I think just finding beauty in things that are also what people generally will call negative, uh, because it's all part of this, like, I guess, more grand life that we, that we live in. No, for sure. 100%. And also in the short time, it wasn't that short, it was like a year, but in the time I was on TikTok, I remember one of the main some of the most popular videos about solo female travelers was loneliness and and like how they went to travel alone and they were all excited about it. But then at some point in their journeys, they start feeling lonely and loneliness will be part of that journey. And I feel that as a solo female travelers, loneliness is something that we have to embrace. You are going to go away from those connections that you have back at home and probably you're going to make 
some other ones that will probably be as strong or will not, but that's also something that is part of the process. You cannot have, you cannot experience solo travel without experiencing loneliness at some points, uh, without experiencing being homesick, as you mentioned. So it's like that thing that, that you love will have the positive and, and negative. And here I, I related it to solo travel, but of yeah. course this applies to every other aspects of life, especially relationships. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And if you just think, I like your example, because if you just think about loneliness, like if we're a cup of our relationships, if you want new ones to be in there in any, like, I guess, interval of time, like the best way for you to want that, to be open to that is to reduce the ones that are currently there. Cause we only have a certain amount of attention of time of energy. Um, I mean, I've seen some people, when they're traveling, if you're on the phone the whole time, if you're like calling your boyfriend every single day and you're skipping out on all the things that are happening, you reduce the amount of time that you have to be open to these new experiences. And also when you're open to these experiences, it's not like every moment of time you open up, it's automatically going to get filled by the perfect thing. So in order to have these moments of spontaneity and moments of connection, there needs to be some emptiness to give space to it. And so viewing it as a whole of like, I need this emptiness in order for different things to fall in um, is kind of a necessary evil because if you don't empty it, there's no space because we're, we're always full back to the attention conversation. We're always full with our phones. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. No, 100%. And thank you so much. And we kind of like, went on on a different topic and uh, <laughs> we took a detour here but I absolutely love this conversation and everything always goes back to to traveling as yeah as you said like travel is full of detours but now I want to ask you Chris about ADHD and can you first explain what ADHD is? Yeah so ADHD is essentially a bucket of symptoms where it's actually the newest definition of it. You could be one of two types or you could be both. So there's hyperactivity on one end. It's when the typical is the bouncing off of walls, but it's also racing thoughts. If you generally, um, one way it shows up is people who kind of move their legs a lot or they're fidgeting with things. Um, they're talkative. There's always multiple things going on in their head. That's hyperactivity. And then there's on the other end, there's inattention, which is what we're talking about today, yeah. uh, is kind of the inability to be able to focus. It's the daydreamer, um, the person who forgets things or or maybe gaps on certain things that are happening. And there's also the third, which is combined type, which is the type that I have, which is you are both of those things. You're hyperactive and inattentive. Um, and the reason I give a long-winded explanation is because every person with ADHD is so different. Um, it all the only string that kind of goes across it is some relationship with focus and the inability to properly control that focus in a way that matches with how our society expects it to do, to be like. That's ADHD. It looks very different in every single person. And it's it is a disability, but it is a disability in the context of our society. And this is why we talk about the inattention society, because I always say that, like, if I was a caveman, I would be a great caveman because of the hyperactivity. I would be a great hunter gatherer. Um, I would, um, it doesn't matter if I daydream and the moment that like something's chasing me, I would be zoned right in and be able to chase that thing back. Um, so I do also want to call out that 
it is a disability in the context of the society that we live in, but there's also a lot of really amazing, great things about people who have ADHD and it's different for every person. Got it. Okay. Thank you so much for providing that definition. And what are some ways that people with ADHD can develop strategies for staying present and focused during travel, even when they may be, as you mentioned, prone to hyperactivity and distraction and some cases impulsivity? Yeah, I think this one is definitely a tip that's not just for people with ADHD, it's for literally anyone, um, is that presence and attention can be practiced uh, and it's like a muscle or a skill that you can increase over time. Of course, it's a little bit harder for people with ADHD, but practicing small mindfulness activities uh, like when you're brushing your teeth, paying attention to the bristles on your mouth and trying not to, sometimes I do this, but go through people's stories while brushing your teeth because you're just on your phone, which I think a lot of people can resonate with. Um, Mm. But taking that moment to be present and to focus on your breathing or your um, sensations and taking that as a very small thing that you just do every day so that every day you practice being mindful, even for two minutes, that will help you be able to, in moments where you need it and in moments where it's harder, you'll already have the muscles that you've been practicing every single day. Um, so definitely starting small and not feeling like you need to, I don't know, do like one, two hour meditations because that's really difficult for people with ADHD. Yeah. Actually, I think all of these are not just for people with ADHD, but specifically works well for people with ADHD is there's this concept called hyperfocus, where when people with ADHD really like something, they go deep into a hole and they literally like we can't hear anything that's going on around us. Everyone's experienced it at some point. It's kind of like a hyperfocus or a flow, but really figuring out like what about your traveling and your experience um, do you have the most curiosity about that aligns best with your values, that you can try your best to be able to ignite some version of hyperfocus? And if you wake up every day or start each week and you identify those things that you're super excited about that really, I guess, align with your values or that you can set an intention that, hey, I really want to make sure that this week I experience something that is related to nature because I really value appreciation of beauty and making sure that you inject that into every day or every week. Um, that can go a really long way because then you're present and you're using your ADHD or hyperfocus to to stay present in the areas that you are curious about and you value. Because it's often hard if you don't care about the thing. And if you go three, four, five, six days without doing something that you really love and you're curious about, um, it can start to go downhill. Got it. No, definitely these tips are useful to everyone, not only with people that have been diagnosed with ADHD. And actually one of the most important values to me, like one of my top five is connection. And and to me, what I am curious about is people. And when you mentioned that hyper-focus state or that flow state, when I'm traveling, I find myself in the flow state when I am talking to someone that I am deeply interested in. And I can talk for yes. four or five hours. And I didn't even notice that the time went by. I didn't get hungry. I didn't get thirsty. I was just like yeah. giving my I'm whole attention. To <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm yes. getting shivers because I, I resonate so deeply. Yeah. Same. That's amazing. And to me, that happens when I'm traveling. I It doesn't happen that that often when I'm in my hometown and when I'm here in Chicago. Uh, but 
But yeah, so for anyone listening, find that thing that you're curious about and also define what your top five values are. And you'll be surprised once you define those values, how much of your entire personality is based on those values, because everything we do is because of the values and principles that we have. And and I remember... I define my 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 top uh, five values probably during the pandemic. I redefine them again, and and they mm, were connection, awesome. yeah, connection, adventure, and I remember those when like the first two ones, and I that's what I do: travel and connecting with people from different cultures and learning about them. So pretty much my entire personality is based on those top two values. <laughs> Yeah, I would be very curious about all of your podcast guests because they're probably very similar. Mine are appreciation of beauty, exploration, um, and connection. So my like two and three are your one and two, which is yeah. pretty pretty wild. But yeah, I think that I would definitely encourage everyone to do that work, to think about their values. I actually remember when I first met our clinical advisor, I asked him, what is the number one thing that people can do to help with their ADHD? And the answer really surprised me because he said it's values aligned living. And I was like, what? This is not what I expected to hear. And he said, yeah, because people with ADHD, they can't decide what they want to do. They do a lot of different things. And how do you know if what you're doing is, there's no right or wrong, but like, you're just going to do things if you don't have like a direction or a signpost. And that direction or signpost is not a specific goal in the future because those things change, but it's really just what are your values? Because that's what makes you you. And once you define your values, then you can way better say like, is this a thing that I want to do? Or is this a thing that I want to do? Because you actually have a benchmark in front of you instead of the normal, I guess, the the pre-values ADHD mind, which is I do this because I saw it. And then I do this because I saw it. And then I do this because I saw it. And you don't have control over that. Wow. Okay. And you know what? Tying this subject back to, to inattention economy, sometimes we make decisions based on what feels good because we are used to that microwave mentality of having everything right away on the internet or having everything like delivered to our doorstep thanks to Amazon. And, and also we know that if we're having a bad day, we can just go on social media and have, you know, I have some scrolling therapy which is not a therapy for sure (laughs) (laughs) so we're used to having things so fast that it's like okay I'm just going to do things because you know this feels good at the moment but if you haven't defined your values it's like is this really like the right path for you so are you sure two three five years on the road will you be okay with that so it's important just to do some like self-analysis and get to know yourself because the more you get to know yourself, the better choices you're going to make for sure. Yeah, exactly what you said. In the moment, it feels good, but you won't remember that two, three years from now. You won't remember how that scroll felt. Yeah. Um, you will, at the end of your life, the other exercise we do actually is called the eulogy exercise. Um, and how that works is, It is your funeral at the end of your life and you're gone Mm -hmm. from here. And who would you like to be at that funeral? And what would you like them to say about you? And so that in itself, if your decisions are helping you move towards that or not, that is unsurfacing a lot of what your values are, how you want to be as a person and who are the people that you really want to cultivate those relationships with. And I love that exercise because it's essentially a slightly disguised version of just figuring out your values. Cause after that you can kind of back into your values. That's um, 
yeah, those reverse engineering. Like, okay, mm-hmm. let's go to the end exactly. of your days to, yeah, figure out how you want to live the rest. That's definitely a, such a powerful exercise. And I did that also when I defined those values. I also did that exercise and it's very powerful. I recommend if you're listening to these and you're like, what? But that sounds super weird. Like, who wants to think about that? I don't want to think about the day I die. Believe me, you want to because <laughs> <laughs> that definitely will, will help you with it. Like, first, defining your values. Second, setting some boundaries and also mm-hmm. some action plans on, on what you want and can do at different stages of your life. Exactly. And I'll add one more. If you don't like the eulogy exercise, there's another one that serves a similar purpose. It's called the miracle question. And the question is essentially, if I were to just snap my fingers and I had magic and you woke up tomorrow and all of your problems in your life were solved, what would your life look like? Oh. And mapping that out in detail. And it's a slightly, I guess, differently framed question that helps you arrive at similar answers. Got it. So the miracle question, and can you repeat the question again? Yeah. So if I were to snap my fingers and tomorrow you woke up, you are suddenly, you had the life that you wanted, the life that you feel you deserve. What would that look like? And generally, if you have a coach with an ADHD coach, they would then ask you a lot of follow-up questions like who would be there? What would it feel like? Um, Kind of helping you just really envision it. So I would take the time to actually stop, close your eyes, write it out. It's a great journaling exercise to envision what it feels like, who would be there, what would your day-to-day look like? So describing very discreetly, what did you do in the morning? What did you do in the afternoon? What did you do at night? And then that will be able to help you identify what gaps that you have between today and that life that you would like to have. Wow, that's a great exercise. Thank you so much, Chris, for for sharing that with us. And, And actually, we have gone a little over time, but that's perfectly okay because it's this interview has been very interesting and you have shared a lot of great things with us. So, Chris, uh, before I let you go, I would like to ask you, for anyone listening to this that wants to get in contact with you, where can they find you? I think the easiest way would probably be Instagram. So my personal one is Chris Wang Stall. I put uh, my name like, in the middle of my first name. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I'll or, make sure I'll put the link in the show notes. Okay, so. perfect. Or shimmer.care, which is a little bit easier for the ADHD <laughs> coaching app. Awesome. Thank you so much. And Chris, thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing for the coaching app and for everything that you share here with us as well. And of course, thank you so much for your time. No, of course. Thanks for the serendipity that I stumbled upon you and then binged your whole podcast. And now I'm here. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you so much for reaching out. Seriously, when we started a conversation and and when the topic of attention came up, I was like, yeah, can you please come and talk about this? (laughs) Because definitely it's something that we should be paying more attention to. You know, a lot of things are happening with our attention spans and, and, you know, travel also has a way to influence positively into our mental health and attention span. So it's good to have conversations about this. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. 